welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh, new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. Are starting a new series now where we're going to look at the names of Jesus, and uh, we're going to look at eight different names, uh, maybe nine. I might throw a bonus week in there. Uh, how many know we have long series? I might throw one in there, but uh, for sure, eight different names of Jesus. And uh, as we do this, my hope and prayer is that we'll understand who Jesus is more. That as we look at different names for Jesus, we're going to understand him, have a greater uh, revelation uh, in times of trial or struggle or things. Different names that we understand Jesus by will help us and give us strength. And some of you are like, wait, 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 I thought his name was Jesus, and it is. But there are over a hundred different names, hundreds actually, that uh, describe who Jesus is, that he can be called by, and uh, different ways for us to understand who he is as Savior of the world and Jesus Christ us. And how many know the name Jesus, again, most popular, uh, that is the name that we know our Savior by the most. And uh, there's that old, old, old song uh, when Jesus, 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 there's just something about that name. Some of you are singing along with me. I saw you. That means you're old. All right, come on. All right. But we got our new song on our CD, uh, Jesus, Your Name is Greater. But the name of Jesus, there's something there. It's so powerful. And uh, it is really the name that we know our Savior by. And uh, we know this from history that a lot of people like to name their child Jesus. In the Jewish uh, faith, in the country of Israel, uh, the Jewish people would name their child Jesus because it was connected to Joshua, meant deliverer. And at the time of Jesus' birth, There were about 19 other contemporaries that we know that had some fame to them that were of the name Jesus. But the name Jesus, when it refers to Jesus Christ of Nazareth, when we're talking about this man, this Savior, uh, he stands apart. He stands apart. And it's interesting that the name of Jesus, super popular. People are naming their kid Jesus. All sorts of people are naming him Jesus. When Jesus comes on the earth, dies on the cross, comes back from the dead, all of a sudden, everyone stops naming their kids Jesus. It's like off limits because the Christians out of reverence are like, you just can't name your kid Jesus because Jesus was here. There's one Jesus and you cannot name your child Jesus out of reverence, okay? And then uh, Jewish people were like, you don't want to name your kid Jesus because that's associated with Jesus. And the Romans are like, don't ever name your kid Jesus. You see what I'm saying? So one is doing it because they don't like the name and one is doing it because they love the name. 
okay? But we have all sorts of names of Jesus, and they've been categorized. Uh, there's Old Testament prophetic names of Jesus, the branch, the desire of all, all nations. There's different names that tell us about um, the salvation that he brings, that he's the Savior, Redeemer, Lamb of God, Mediator, uh, the last Adam. There's, there's names that are around his birth that we know, the mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Emmanuel. There's all sorts of names that show uh, that he's the Son of God, um, the only begotten Son. There's names that you might know, like the Alpha and Omega, the author and finisher, the Word of God. Okay, so we've got all these different names. There's bridegroom, shepherd, the vine. And these are all names that we could understand Jesus by. Matter of fact, um, John, when he writes Revelation, gives about 73 different names. 73 different names. He's trying to help us to understand Jesus is amazing. He's incredible. And he's got all these names. And as you have these names, you'll understand him more. In this situation, he's exactly what you need right here. And so we're going to look at these names. Now, it's very different than a series that we did before. We did Hello, My Name is God. And we looked at uh, different Old Testament names, went through the Jehovah names. We're not recycling an old series. This is new, and we're going to look at Alpha and Omega, Deliver, Line of the Tribe of Judah, Rose of Sharon. But we're digging in today. We're digging in today with really a deep name, all right? I really need you to stick with me here today. This is one that you probably want to take notes with. This is one you're going to need to chew on. This is one that maybe isn't very popular. Uh, but we're going to start out with this one, The Last Adam or the second Adam, all right? So some of you are familiar in the Bible with Adam and Eve, okay? That was the first Adam. But the Bible gives a name to Jesus Christ as the last Adam. The apostle Paul is trying to help us to understand the problem and the mess that Adam got us into and the remedy and the salvation and the hope that Jesus gets us into. And he says, Jesus is the last Adam, we don't need another. We've got the first one and the last one, and we've got the problem taken care of. And in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45, it says, So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. So this is where we have it. This is where we have the last Adam. Now, some people will also say that Jesus is not just the last Adam, but he's the second Adam. And second Adam is implied in the way that Paul uh, contrasts Adam to Jesus. But the term second Adam, you're not going to find that in the Bible. It's kind of like Trinity. It's not going to be found there, but it's going to be implied. Are you with me? Nod your head. Here and at all the campuses, nod your head. All right. All right. This is a deeper teaching. And I want to let you know that we intentionally do series like this. We feel there are times where we are very outreach focused. And then we feel that there are times that we are very depth focused and then outreach focused in depth. And we try to have a good balance and blend on that, always realizing that there are people that need to be brought in but that also you need to be uh, put into depth into Christ. So this is one of those. So you're going to have to think with me, all right? So we see this that uh, Paul, Paul contrasts, and he contrasts Adam with Jesus, and he says this last Adam, this first Adam, and he has this going on. And in Romans 5, it's an incredible uh, just revelation that Paul's giving to us. It's an incredible passage of Scripture, and I'm going to read it to you in the message because it is deep theology, and I want to put it in simple, simple terms for you to understand. It's funny, 
after our previous series where I'm like, King James only, you know, now I'm like, all right, message, all right, let's keep it simple, all right? But if you have your Bibles, Romans chapter 5, I'd encourage you to read along, maybe take some margins in your Bible or online, be writing this down, because there's a lot here, and I'm going to read a, a rather lengthy passage of Scripture. Romans chapter 5. Apostle Paul says, you know the story of how Adam landed us in the dilemma we're in. First sin, then death, and no one exempt from either sin or death. That sin disturbed relations with God in everything and everyone, but the extent of the disturbance was not clear until God spelled it out in detail to Moses. So death, this huge abyss separating us from God, dominated the landscape from Adam to Moses. Even those who didn't sin precisely as Adam did by disobeying in a specific command of God still had to experience this termination of life, this separation from God. But Adam, who got us into this, also points ahead to the one who will get us out of it. Yet the rescuing gift is not exactly parallel to the death-dealing sin. If one man's sin put crowds of people at the dead-end abyss of separation from God, just think what God's, poured, uh, God's gift poured through one man, Jesus Christ, will do. There's no comparison between that death-dealing sin and this generous, life-giving lip, gift. The verdict on that one sin was the death sentence. The verdict on the many sins that followed was this wonderful life sentence. If death got the upper hand through one man's wrongdoing, can you imagine the breathtaking recovery life makes, sovereign life, in those whose grasp with both hands this wildly extravagant life gift, this grand setting everything right that the one man Jesus Christ provides, okay? So even Paul's like, are you tracking with me? And then he says, here it is in a nutshell. Just as one person did wrong and got us into all this trouble with sin and death, another person did it right and got us out of it. But more than just getting us out of the trouble, he got us into life. One man said no to God and put many people in the wrong. One man said yes to God and put many in the right. All that passing laws against sin did was produce more lawbreakers, but sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness we call grace. When it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. All sin can do is threaten us with death, and that's the end of it. Grace, because God is putting everything together again through the Messiah, invites us into life, a life that goes on and on and on world without end. All right, lengthy passage of scripture, but you got to understand this. The apostle Paul is telling us, if you want to understand more about Jesus, there's two people you need to know. You need to know about Adam and you need to know Jesus. And matter of fact, if you look in all of history, you could not know who the oldest man was in the Bible. You could not know the names of the 12 disciples. You could not know who King Nebuchadnezzar is. There's all sorts of people. You cannot know their names or who they are. You don't have to know those trivia things. But Paul is saying there's two people you really need to know about, and it'll make sense if you know Adam and you know Jesus, the last Adam. You know, if you know those two, all of history really kind of focuses here. This one created good in relationship with God, messes it all up for all of us. This one, God's son sent to the earth, lives a perfect life. 
sets it right for all of us and fixes the big problem that this guy got us into. And he's saying, if you understand this, you are on your way to understanding how much God loves you. You are understanding how bad sin is. You are understanding what is going on in your life. And if you're not aware of this, and again, I just am assuming with this series and where we understand our culture is that a lot of people here are believers. But if you're not familiar with that story, it's in Genesis 3 where Adam messes up and gets us into all sorts of trouble. And the Apostle Paul starts kind of sharing like Adam did this, but Jesus did this, and Adam did this, and Jesus did this. And the Bible is full of this imagery. It's in there. And as you're reading, you're kind of like, aha, you see this. You know, the first Adam, he brings death into the garden of life. Second Adam, or last Adam, Jesus brings life into the cemetery of death, which is like a garden that was death, and he brings life in. So they're like reversing, Okay. The first Adam goes into deep sleep and out of his side, his wife is formed. That's what the Bible tells us. The second Adam, in his death, his side is pierced, water and blood pour out. And right after that, the church is formed. His bride is formed. It's interesting, okay? The, The first Adam disobeys with a tree. Don't touch that tree. You can touch everything else. Don't touch that tree. He disobeys with the tree. The last Adam obeys with the tree and dies on a cross made from a tree. Okay, and so this stuff is going on. Uh, the, The first Adam was created on the sixth day. The last Adam dies on the sixth day and basically brings us into new life, new creation. And it's kind of neat that it was a Friday of all the days. I mean, here we are. All these things are going on. There's all this rich imagery that Paul's trying to help us to understand. And a lot of us don't ever think about this. We don't ever think about this. And again, this in this series, I want us to grab it, understand who Jesus is, understand him, love him more, have a greater understanding so we can convey the truth of who Jesus is. Now, this has been pointed out by other pastors, but I'm going to look at three just comparisons and three contrasts between the first Adam and the last Adam that was in our text. And the first one is uh, the first Adam brings, he trespasses and brings a penalty, and the last Adam brings us a gift. So we have trespass with a penalty, and we have a gift. And this is what it says in verse 15. Yet this rescuing gift is not exactly parallel to the death-dealing sin. If one man's sin put crowds of people at the dead-end abyss of separation from God, just think what God's gift poured through one man, Jesus Christ, will do. Okay? So he's saying this. Adam was supposed to not touch the one tree. Leave it alone. No trespassing. Think about it. God's like, I've created this paradise for you, Adam, and you and I are in relationship, and the deal is you can't touch that one. Everything else you can touch. Have fun. Go. Be fruitful. It's going to be amazing. Touch anything else. Not that one. Are we good? No trespassing sign. But he did like we do. How many know we see a no trespassing sign? We're like, oh, what does that mean? What's behind there? Do they have a dog or a gun? I will stay out then, right? You know, you're thinking, you're like quantifying. How bad is the punishment if I cross line? The other day I was trying to send a letter and um, I was trying to pull into the post office in Burnsville. And, you know, I, you know, I should be able to drop off a letter. And I pulled in the parking lot and I was like, no trespassing, U.S. Postal Service property. You know, and I'm thinking it should say, you may be shot. And I'm like, I'm getting out of there. It's the post office. It's like, it felt really intimidating to get out of the post office. Like, get, I turned in the wrong way. And I was like, I just want to drop off a letter. 
Maybe you've been to a, a place where there's land and you want to go on. It says no trespassing. And so he's saying the first Adam trespasses and does this. And you, and you think about it. His sin was really saying, I'm more important than the things God wants me to do. God wants me to obey him, but I'm going to do what I want to do. It was really selfishness and pride. And you think about it. How selfish do you have to be to be told everything else is yours? But that thing, don't touch that. Like, well, I'm going to touch it anyway. I mean, that's, that's selfish. That is really selfish. And so in this selfishness, he's really being a lot like the devil was, where the devil in Isaiah 14, like, I will be like God. I'll do my thing. I will be great. I have pride. I will do what I want to do. And so Adam brings this equation into earth, and he trespasses. And basically, if you will, he unleashes an alien force in the earth. In this moment, everything's perfect. Everything's perfect. And he goes and wrecks it by unleashing sin on the planet. It's like, an, it's, like, it's like the worst horror movie ever. If we could watch the account of this, we'd be going, Adam, don't touch it, don't touch it, don't touch it, don't touch it. And when you do that, it's like tragic, touch it, ah! You know? <laughs> They're like, settle down, Pastor <laughs> But it's like a horror movie. Because we know what gets unleashed and when you're like, don't feed them at night, you know, you're like, don't feed them at night because they turn evil, ah, you know, all right, and you can't get them in the box, you know, all right, and so that's what this is like. It's like a horror movie going on, and ever since then, it's been like, how do we get this back in the box? Because he unleashes this alien force on the planet. Now, track with me on this. This is, this is deep theology, and this is deep understanding, but... Adam and Eve were the only people on the planet that were created fully human, okay? Fully human, track would be, fully human. Then they sin and were like mutated because when God created them, he created them in right relationship. They had full, they were fully human. And then sin comes in, they unleash it, it gets out of the box and it's like there's a mutation here now. And none of us are fully human like we were intended to be. Track with me, okay? Jesus comes in and he's fully human in a mutated world, doesn't sin, lives perfect. He's able to live fully human, pays the price for us on the cross. And then basically he's saying, now when you accept me as Lord and Savior, you get a taste of what it's like to be fully human. You'll have those God moments. You know what I'm talking about? You have those God moments in church. You have those God moments in your devotion. You have those God moments. You are just getting a taste of what you were created to be like, like Adam and Eve. But see, we're living in this mutated sin world. And so now you give your life to Jesus and he gives you a taste. You have an earnest, a deposit of the Holy Spirit and you're getting just a taste of what it's like. And he says, you're gonna be formed into my image. You're getting formed of what it was like to be there. And someday... When you're in my presence, when you're in heaven, you're going to be transformed to being fully human like you were meant to be, okay? So this is what's going on. He's trespassed. We've got a gift. It's an amazing thing, and this leads us to the next thing. In verse 16, he said, there's no comparison between the death-dealing sin and this generous life-giving gift. The verdict on that one sin was the death sentence, 
The verdict on the many sins that followed was this wonderful life sentence in a very good way. And this is the way we contrast it. It's condemnation versus justification. We, we were condemned, and when Adam opened the box, if you will, when Adam touched the tree, when Adam ate of it, when he did what he wasn't supposed to do and he unleashed sin on this planet, all of a sudden we were all condemned, every one of us. Now, as Americans, we don't like that. We don't like that because we say, well, I didn't do it. He touched it. I didn't touch it. I didn't touch it because I didn't. Why am I condemned if he touched it? Matter of fact, we're like, I, I, I don't, I'm not as guilty for the crime. I didn't commit the crime. Well, you drove the car. Yeah, but I didn't commit the crime. He committed the crime. I just drove the car. I should have a lesser penalty. And what happens in this, God is saying, and Paul is writing this to us. He's saying, when Adam did this, we were all condemned. And you know what we were condemned with? A death sentence. You were condemned with it. Every single one of us. Now, this is another amazing thing because we would say, well, that's not fair. I didn't do the same things that Adam did. And some people may think like, well, if I'd have been there, I wouldn't have done it right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. We all sin and we may not do the exact same thing, but we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. That's what the Bible says. But when Adam sinned, we all got this. We all were condemned because of it. It's like everyone born after him was condemned because of this. We say, well, that's not fair. I didn't do it. Well, interesting. Jesus goes and pays the price on the cross and takes all of our sins, and you didn't do anything for it. It's like he took care of it. He did it all, and nobody complains. Well, that's not fair. I should have to suffer. That's not fair. I mean, it's just not fair. I mean, that's just, I mean, I deserve something. You know, I mean, I know we do, but instead we say, that's not fair, but I love it. Grace is amazing. So it's, it's both sides. It's not really fair that Adam did it and everybody got it, but that's the way it works. And it's not really fair that Jesus took it for you and I, but that's amazing and incredible. And we get in on this condemnation and justification. One man, one man. He condemned us all. He justified us all. And it's an amazing exchange that's going on here. You can understand that this is a simple way to understand it. We were ruined by Adam and we're rescued by Jesus. Ruined by Adam and rescued by Jesus. That's what's going on here in being condemned and justified. Now, it's an interesting thing here. Uh, Paul is writing this and he's saying, you know, uh, God didn't just send Jesus to take care of this and he doesn't just pick up, you know, here. He's, he's taking care of it and he's doing it and he's making it incredible and he's taking care of not just Adam's problem, but he's taking care of all the many, 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 many sins. So this is the amazing thing. God's saying, you know what I've done? I've sent Jesus, and he's not just taking care of what Adam did. He's taking care of the multiplication and the multiplication and the multiplication. It's so far out of the box, and God's like, he's taking care of all of it. My sins, your sins, everybody's sins. It's an incredible thing that's going on. There's, that's why he says there's no comparison. There's no comparison. Like, Adam did one sin, and we we're all guilty. Jesus took everyone's sins and made us all not guilty if we ask for forgiveness. It's an amazing exchange. All right, last one. Last one here, verse 17. If death got the upper hand through one man's wrongdoing, can you imagine the breathtaking recovery life makes, sovereign life, and those who grasp it with both hands, this wildly extravagant life gift, this grand setting everything right that the one man Jesus Christ provides? 
And he said, because of this, death got the upper hand. When Adam sinned, death came into the earth. Now, you got to understand this again. We were not created to die. You were not created. People will say when they study the body, they're like, it's incredible. It's amazing, this machine, this body. And yet you think about it, it could almost live forever. It could almost live because it's just so incredible. And yet when sin entered the world, death became the penalty. And all of a sudden, death got the upper hand. And every time you drive by a mortician's place, you know, it says death is in this earth and death is reigning. Every time you see a hearse, it says death is reigning right now. Every time you see a cemetery, that's only because death is reigning. And it's, it's, it's this enemy. It came in. And, and here's the deal. Everyone's going to die. Everyone's, you know, some of you are like, I don't like that. I mean, everybody's going to die. And how many know that we try to postpone it as much as we can? We're like, I'll get medicine, I'll get pills, I'll exercise, I'll do this. But ultimately, death is here, okay? But he's saying, guess what? Death is here, and it got the upper hand. But because of what Jesus did, now eternal life has the upper hand if you'll take it. If you'll grab it with both hands, guess what? You come out from underneath death, and you come under life. And he's saying, it's an amazing thing that happens. And really, when you think about it, death Death wasn't meant to be here. Death wasn't meant to be here. Grab that. And we, we try to stop it, but it wasn't. It's, it's almost like milfoil in a lake. You're like, you're not supposed to be in this lake, and you know, you're destroying everything. And death is not supposed to be there, and it's destroying so many things. But Paul is saying, guess what? Even though this world is broken because death has an upper hand right now, Jesus has paid the price, and he's going to reverse everything. There's going to be an amazing reversal taking place, and Jesus is going to have the upper hand on this. This is why Romans 8 says this about the earth, because when bad things happen, people say to me, like, well, what are you, why bad things are happening? I said, well, here's the thing. The earth is broken. Adam messed up, okay? Adam messed up, but Jesus has made a way for it to be better, and he promises he's going to fix it someday, okay? And this is what Romans 8 says. It says, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all of creation, get that? Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse because of what Adam did. But with eager hope, the creation looked forwards to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all of creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. Remember, I was talking about that. You got a taste of it. He says, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he's promised us. Man, it's an amazing thing. Jesus is saying, I bring new life. This earth is broken. Adam broke it. But I've come and I've made a way for you to be fixed and on the right path. And I've taken care of everything that's a problem. And if you ask for this forgiveness, it's yours. You get a little taste of what it's like, going to be like when you're restored into that total right relationship and you're able to fully grasp it. And he's saying you get a taste of it, but guess what? He's taking care of it. It's an amazing, amazing thing. Last thing I'll say on this. Adam, no choice. You and I had no choice. We're in on the sin deal, no choice. 
Jesus, there's a choice. That's a big difference. Everyone's a sinner. Everyone, no choice. You don't have to teach a kid to sin. How many know that? You know, they'll grow up and they will be a sinner, okay? No choice. But there comes a point if you're going to be forgiven, there's a choice. And Jesus offers that. And he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And he said, I'm knocking. Will you open up? He said, if you call upon the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. You can be put back into right relationship. No choice, choice. And we make that choice here on earth. The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You've got to call on him. You've got to choose that. When you choose that, you get out from underneath Adam and you get underneath Jesus Christ because, see, there's no middle ground. You're either under the first Adam or you're under the last Adam. This one leads to death. This one leads to eternal life, and the choice is yours. And so here and at all of our campuses, we're going to give an opportunity for this, for you to make that decision. If you're under the first Adam and you're saying, I get it, this makes sense to me, my sin separated me from God, here and at all our campuses, we're going to give an opportunity for you to give your life to Jesus Christ. So if you could bow your heads with me right now and close your eyes, I'm asking right now for people to just take a moment. You're saying, I get it, it makes sense, I understand it. I get it. I now realize that I was separated from God. I didn't even choose, but I got this sin in my life. And I've done plenty of sins. I've done plenty of wrong. And now I want to be forgiven. I want to have things set right. I know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for me so I could be forgiven of my sins and made right. And if that's you, whether you're here or watching online or at one of our campuses, I want to ask you just, I would love to include you in a closing prayer. And if you're here, in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and say, Pastor Rob, I'm in. I'm in. I need this forgiveness. I need this opportunity. I get it. I want to be right with God. I want what Jesus Christ paid for. I want this justification, just as if I'd never sinned. I want life, not death. I want a taste of what it was meant to be fully human, to be really created in his image, to be in right relationship with you, with you, Lord. And if that's you and you're saying, Pastor Rob, include me in this prayer, I'd love for you here and at all of our campuses to just raise up your hand while others have their heads bowed and you're saying, Pastor Rob, include me in the prayer. This is my moment. Yep, there's hands going up. One, two, three, four, five, there's six, there's more, seven, eight, there's nine. Are there others? You'd say, I want to join these with their hands up. You say, I'm in. Yeah, 10. I just saw your hand go up right there. There's others who just say, yep, I'm in. I'm in. This is my moment. I want to live for God. I, I was living for the wrong thing, and I didn't realize that I could just ask for forgiveness. I could call on his name, and he would just forgive me of the things that I've done wrong. Anyone else who would like to raise their hand and say, I'm in with those that are here. I get it now. I get it. I understand it. I'm in. This is my moment. Thank you, Lord. You can put your hands down all across. Yes, I saw your hand go up. Thank you. I'm glad we waited. This is real. This is real. This is real. So many of us here have done this, and we've asked Jesus to forgive us of our sins. And I'm going to ask you to do the same things with your head bowed and your eyes closed. I'm going to lead in a prayer, and I'm going to ask that you'd repeat it after me out loud, that you'd repeat it after me out loud, and that those around you would repeat it out loud as a form of encouragement. All right, so let's pray this together. And the Bible says, if you believe it in your heart and you confess it with your mouth, you will be forgiven and eternal life will be yours. So let's pray this. Dear Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins and all that I've done wrong. 
because I know I'm a sinner. And I ask for forgiveness because you paid the price. You died on the cross and you rose again. And I believe that. And I receive forgiveness that you paid for. I pledge now to live for you for the rest of my life. Give me the strength to live for you. You're my Lord and Savior. I receive this free gift in Jesus' name. So Lord, I thank you for those that prayed this. They prayed it. You did it. You did it. They did nothing to have this sin brought on them, but they made a choice to respond to grace. That's all they did. They just said yes to grace, and now grace has been given. It's an amazing exchange. And when it's grace versus death, Apostle Paul says, grace wins hands down. And now they've been given grace. They've been given life. They've been given eternal life. They've been given a relationship with you. And now you've restored them to our Heavenly Father, and we thank you for that. I just thank you for this decision, this new faith in them, and I pray that they grow in this, walk in this, and love the fact that you forgive them of their sins. Thank you for this, Lord. I thank you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen.